I'm just going to uh, read and you're going to pray um, for us as we come to look at God's Word um, before John comes up to speak to us. Um, and the reading today is from James chapter 3, and it's from verse 1 uh, through to 12. It should be on the screen or you want to follow along uh, with your Bibles if you have one. Uh, but this is God's Word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they are best, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a, wor a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we come to this place to join together this morning in worship and in praise and in adulation of you. And as we do so, uh, Lord, we pray for um, all that we bring into this building this morning, uh, each of those things that are going on in our lives, those things that are causing maybe stress or anxiety or hurt or pain this morning, because we know that you come and meet us uh, in our pain, and you meet us where we are. So as we bring those things this morning, may we bring those to you. May we uh, be reminded that we are coming before uh, a holy, loving, all-seeing, all-knowing God who is our Father. And as we do so this morning, as we uh, read your word and we hear from your word and as John speaks uh, to us from your word, may we hear from our Father in heaven. May we hear from you with that, that fatherly tone that, uh, that corrects us, that can rebuke us, but also pours out grace and mercy and forgiveness to us, that calls us uh, to live uh, the way that you would have us to live, and that we would do so in the power of your Spirit. I just pray for... Uh, those this morning who um, are gathering throughout uh, the world and the globe uh, and that we join with to worship you this morning. May we be reminded that we are part of 
uh, a global family, your church. And as we do so, may we come with reverence and awe and fear, but also with wonder and excitement and enthusiasm for, uh, for who you are and who is speaking to us. So still our hearts, uh, Lord, I pray for, for John as he comes to speak, that you would uh, bless him and bless those words that he has prepared. Lord, speak through him this morning. Use him as your servant uh, to speak to each one of us from your heart. pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. Morning. Good to be with you this morning as we are in James chapter 3. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, this is one of those, uh, if you just read the first lines of James chapter 3, uh, you, you can imagine that a, a teacher or a preacher comes to this text in particular with quite a bit of trepidation, let's just say. Uh, but nevertheless, it needs to be uh, taught and it needs to be looked at. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to just do that. The tongue is without doubt the most difficult member of the body to control. Uh, the tongue is also the most powerful member of the body. Uh, words and the way that words have been used uh, throughout history have brought great victories and also uh, elicited great defeats. Words have, and the use of words and the power of words, have indeed changed the course of history itself. Some have said that the tongue is the most dangerous member of the church. And to some degree, that's true. James here in James 3 verses 10, or verse 9 and 10 says, with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. That's just exactly what we've done. We've literally just sang. We have worshipped God. We have blessed God with our tongues through song. And no doubt, we'll, we'll leave here today and we will curse. I don't, when you hear that word curse, you'll, you'll maybe go away from here today and say, that buys a tube and you'll be talking about me. But, uh, but it's the same thing. It's with that, we, 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 we worship God, and we, and we go away, and we curse people. That's what James is going to tell us here, and he's going to say it shouldn't be like that. But that's exactly what we do. James also asked the question, who can control the tongue perfectly? Answer, no one. No one. And so today, when we look at this, James is going from, uh, what we're going to look at first is, is why is Christian speech so important? Uh, and James, in this, I want to read these opening verses to you again. What he's going to address in these verses is that Christian speech. He says this, let, let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man also to bridle his whole body. Why does James follow up a section on works with a section again on speech? 
Well, we, we talked about this a few weeks back that we, we, we thought perhaps it, it would feel a little bit like this. James, the book of James, feels a little bit like he's jumping all over the place. He's not really coherent in his thought. Why is it? And if you, and if you take the, the chapter 3, which we know has been added afterwards, there's no chapter distinctions in the original text. Why does he go from faith without works, right, is dead, a section on works, to speech? Why does he do that? It seems as he, again as if James is jumping about all over the place. Well, he does it for this purpose. James is reminding us and going to remind us that our works are not just limited to our actions, but in fact, they include our words and our speech. Works, our works include our words and our speech. And in fact, our words and our speech are amongst our most important works. So if James, the book of James is suggesting and referring to the fact that our loving action, like we looked at last week about looking after people and caring for people, if he's suggesting that our, our action comes from hearts that have been changed, hearts that have been uh, redeemed and loved by Christ, he's going to follow that up by saying that our speech and how we talk do the same. They come from hearts that have been changed. And if we think about the flow of the book so far, there's even an even clearer reason for the logic of James here handling this issue of speech. If we go back to James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, uh, that section that we dealt with earlier is the issue of hearing and doing the Word. And James lists three marks of, of, of what it means to be a truly Christian man or woman. This is what he says, three things verse 26 and 27, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. That's the first one. That's speech. The second one, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. That's the second. And then the third came, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's the third. And so what James does is set these three things out, and that's what he's going to spend the rest of this time, the rest of our time in the book of James, is going to be looking at these things. First, we looked at last week, visiting orphans and widows, looking after those amongst us who are vulnerable and those outside of us who are vulnerable, the poor and the powerless. Then we're going to look at the second one, speech. Speech. What I want to say is this, is James is not again coming up with anything new. He is literally just saying what his elder brother Jesus said. Jesus has already talked about speech and how important it is in Matthew 15. Matthew 15 verse 11, Jesus says this, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out of a man's mouth that defiles him. Because what comes out of the mouth comes out of the heart. It shows us what the heart is like. And so James, again, is just ripping off his, his older brother Jesus, and he's simply applying the same truth to us that Jesus has already told us in, in Matthew 15. Speech, the way we talk, is one of the best indicators of what's going on in, the, in our hearts. So, if that's the case, 
let me ask us a question. What does your speech tell you about your heart? What does the way you speak tell you about the state of your heart? If taken seriously, that, that question can be a troubling one. Is there inappropriate anger in our speech? Is there profanity in our speech? And I don't just mean when, I, when you hear profanity, you maybe, mean, you maybe just think cursing. That's not what I mean. It may be a problem for some of us, but it's not only what I mean. I mean worldliness of speech. Is it devoid of grace? Does our speech represent, show the fact that we know what the gospel is? Is there coarseness? Is there harshness? Are there lies? Is there gossip? Are we disrespectful? All indicators of our speech and every single one an indicator of our hearts. Christian speech is important. I'm not going to stand here and uh, be like, oh, look at them bad Christians, look at us good Christians. But I don't, know, I don't know why they do it. I think they do it intentionally. I think they go out of their way to do it. But if you, if you ever, see, ever, ever, ever see or hear a Christian representative on TV or, the, or hear them on the radio, most often they come across as the most judgmental, critical, harsh people in the world. James says it, not, it ought not to be so. Our speech is important. Our speech needs to reflect what we know about Jesus, what we, what we believe about Jesus. Speech is important. So as we move through this this morning, keep that question in your mind. What does my speech show me about my heart? How does the way I speak, what does, the words that I use, how does, what does that show me about my heart? James here then gets a little bit more specific. And this is the point of trepidation for myself. But he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If the general subject here is speech, the more, uh, when James gets into the minutiae of the thing and the more particular issue here, he's going he's gonna to go after those who teach. You might be wondering, well, if it's the general issue is speech and that's for all of us, why does he start picking on those who teach? Well, the answer is fairly straightforward. The answer is this, because those who teach the faith, those who teach the Bible, uh, bear an important duty. Now, when I say important, I don't want you to think elevated. It's not. It's important. It's not elevated. This is the Word of God that, that, that James is talking about, those who handle the Word of God, those who teach the Word of God, because their words are important, and they can be used for ill or they can be used for good. Teachers of the faith, by the very nature, and I'm speaking of, uh, obviously you're, you're thinking of what I do here, teachers of the faith, by the very nature of what we do, are more susceptible to sins of speech. It's a just a hazard of the job, comes with the territory. 
we are more susceptible to say things that are not right. And because many who aspire to be teachers stumble, and because, and because many who teach put stumbling blocks in the way of others, they have a significant responsibility and face special dangers in regard to the use of their tongues. But again, James is not saying anything here in, in James chapter 3 that Jesus, his elder brother, has not already said. In Matthew 23, verse 8, James, or Jesus turns to the disciples and says to them, do not desire to be called teachers. That seems a strange thing for Jesus to say to the disciples, because later, what would, he, what would he commission them to do? He would commission them to go and teach the nations. So why does he say to the disciples, do not desire to be called teacher? The reason is this. In Jesus' day, uh, to be a rabbi or to be a, a master, to be a teacher, was honored in Israel. It was improportionately, put, they were improportionately put up on a pedestal to be honored. Rabbis, if, if mothers and fathers, what they would do if they had a son, what they would do is it would be their life's goal to get that son to sit at the feet of the rabbi, to learn from the rabbi. Now, I know that all you parents, your life's goal, if you have a son, is to get them to sit at my feet, right? Yeah? Donald, sit at the feet. No. Donald's like, what? No. We know that's not the case. But in this culture, that was the life's goal of a parent, if they had a boy, was to get them to the feet of the rabbi because they were held in such esteem improportionately held in such esteem. We know that's not the case now. They were honored figured in society. That's definitely not the case now, definitely not the case today. Preachers are right behind dodgy salesmen when it comes to public respect. We know this. That's where, we, that's, that's where our rank is in the public honoring system of our culture. But in Jesus' day, there was this desire to have that public esteem from people who were religious. It was a conservative culture. Their culture had religion woven all through it. And either to sit at the feet of a rabbi or be a rabbi was considered extremely honorable. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, I don't want you to, I don't want you to desire that. I don't want you to desire to, to have the honor for the honor's sake of a culture. James is just echoing the same sentiment that Jesus does. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. What do you need to know about those who teach the Bible? You need to know this. You need to know that we will be judged with greater strictness. Those who teach the faith are under divine scrutiny. We will be judged by a higher standard. James just flatly says that here. He's not behind the door about it. He says, those who teach the faith will be, will be judged by God by 
by higher standards. And of course, he particularly means their teaching. He particularly means the fact of, of, of sound teaching. There were those, again, in, in James's time who would come along and they would lead people astray through their teaching. But it could be more broadly applied. We see this in the life of Jesus again when we think about how he treated the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. What way was he with them? Well, we could say that he was harsh, that he was critical. He treated them with greater strictness because they should have known better. They should have known better. But how did he treat just, how did he treat average Joe Bloggs who was a bit confused and who didn't really get the whole thing? He was loving and compassionate. Think about how Jesus dealt with the religious leaders of the day, those who set themselves up as teachers. Think about how he dealt in particular in John 3 with, with a man called Nicodemus, who was in the day this, like, if you want to bring it into our day, he was like this Tim Keller type, uh, Matt Chandler type figure, who everybody would have wanted to go to hear him. He was considered called the teacher of Israel. If, if Nicodemus had been running a conference, everybody would have went to it. And Jesus says to him, you're the teacher in Israel. You're the one about everybody saying so-and-so, so-and-so, and you don't even get what I'm saying. You do not understand what I'm saying, and you consider yourself to be the teacher of Israel. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs rotting corpses. And he says, woe to you. Jesus has no time for teachers who lead the people of God astray. And that's what James is echoing here in James 3. And that reminds us, and it reminds us as members of this body, Cornerstone Church, the importance of our scrutiny and discernment regarding those who teach us the Bible. I am blown away often. My, my mind just can't handle it sometimes. The kinds of teachers that intelligent, competent Christians will listen to and consider it sound teaching. It's mind-boggling. We have to be discerning in who we listen to. And there's a couple of things I want to say about that. And if you're not doing this right now, there's no judgment. Maybe we should start to do it. But what I would love you to do, what I would love us to do in Cornerstone Church, is when, we're, when, the, when the Bible is being taught, is that we have our Bibles open in front of us. As I say, there's no judgment for not doing it. Maybe we should start doing it. Why? Why would I love that? It's because when you hear me speak, you can look at the text and you can say, yes, I see that in the text. Because when I speak and you can't see it in the text, you have every right to to come to me afterwards and say, hey, John, I don't see that in the text. Where are you getting that? We must 
preach the word. Not our conjecture, not our opinion, not our feelings, not our thoughts, the word. We must come to the Bible and be discerning. Second thing I need to say about who are your teachers in Cornerstone Church? And this is not to uh, like take off some of the heat off me. It's not. But uh, I just want to be clear and open. Uh, who are your teachers in Cornerstone Church? Well, just basically this. It's myself, it's Ali, and it's Marcus. Don't, when you think teacher, don't just think me. Who teaches the Bible in Cornerstone? Oh, it's John. Nope. There is one distinct qualification that sets elders apart from everyone else. Even when we were doing our deacons' elections, when we talked about qualifications for, for deacons, there is one distinct qualification that sets elders apart from deacons and everyone else in the church. And the distinct qualification is this, that they are apt to teach. What does that distinct qualification mean? That distinct qualification means this. It doesn't necessarily mean what I'm doing now. Right? Let me be clear. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that everybody is able to get up and communicate the Bible from the front and be do what I do, right? It means this. It means to be able to hold sound doctrine and teach sound doctrine. That's what it means. So, in a one-to-one -one conversation, if you're talking to Ali or if you're talking to Marcus, and they're able to hold sound doctrine, keep sound doctrine, communicate sound doctrine, they are apt to teach. That's what they're doing. So, who will be judged with greater strictness in Cornerstone Church? Me, Ali, and Marcus. Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. As those who will give an account. Who will give an account for the lives in Cornerstone Church? Me, Marcus, and Ali no one else as yet. That's who. That's what the Bible says. Now, can you imagine how that scares me? And Marcus, and Ali. <laughs> That's why it says, and, do so, and let them do so with joy and not complaining, because of that would be of no benefit to you. Don't be yaps, in other words. Sorry. Susceptible to sins of speech. That's the truth. That's who will be held accountable. That's who's apt to teach. That's your teachers and cornerstone. But we invite, invite, if we're not talking this, you need to tell us. You need to tell us. Be discerning. We will be judged. Right. Thankfully, straight after this, he comes out with one of the most encouraging verses that you'll ever see, right? So, that was quite heavy. Not many of you become teachers because you'll be judged with serious strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. Amen. For we all stumble. What an amazing statement that James just comes out with after this quite hard-hitting verse. He comes out with the fact that everybody stumbles. And that's the truth. 
That just is the truth. And what James is doing here is he's debunking the myth of perfectionism. He's, de- he's just doing away with this myth that, that, that Christians need to be perfect. The significance of that, just a passing remark about stumbling, is that this, it shows us that no believer is perfect. No believer is without sin. And here's what I want to say. Perfection is not the goal of the Christian life. So take that off you. Perfection is not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is maturity, which will still not be perfect. The goal of the Christian life is not perfection. It is maturity. It is an ever-increasing amount of maturity. There is one day and one day only when you will be perfect. And that will be the day that you stand in front of King Jesus. That's it. And we have to be unbelievably, utterly realistic about the expectation of our Christian lives. We need to know that we'll not be perfect. And we need to know that other Christians won't be perfect. I hear it all the time. Christians who come and they're disappointed about the behavior of other Christians in the church. Like, do we not have mirrors? No. Like, are we not looking at ourselves at all? No. That's the truth, Ronnie. We're disappointed with the behavior of other believers. Sometimes we should be. Sometimes people do disappoint us. But we need to have a look in the mirror. We need to have a look in the mirror. We need to be reminded about our our own ongoing need for repentance and growth in grace. Why? Because we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. So after these couple of introductory remarks, and you will be delighted to know that I am not going to treat the rest of the passage the way I've treated the first two verses. It's a good day out there after all. Right. So after his introductory remarks around teachers and then basically saying that everybody stumbles, he gives three illustrations just to show us how much influence our speech actually has and how the way we use our words matter. And the illustration he gives is about the bit in the the horse's mouth and the rudder uh, on the ship. And these two, basically, the first two illustrations are this. The small member of the body that is the tongue can, can literally steer the course of your life. That's what he's saying. The small member of the body, which is the tongue, can steer the course of your life. Think about horse, big, strong animal, small bit, steers it. Ship, massive, small rudder, steers it. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to be really, really honest with me. No doubt Ronnie will be. But 
I want you to be really honest. Do you know anyone who would be considered a pathological liar? Me. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Spotted out a mile away. But we do. We know people who would be like, oh, right, ah, yeah. Yeah. What has done that? Their tongue. Their tongue has given them a reputation of being like that. It will be very difficult for that person to shake that off. Their tongue has set the course of their life. Again, another question, and I know I can see what's coming. Does anyone know anybody who gossips? You let me down there. You're supposed to say yes, Ronnie. Right. Does anyone? Yes. We know people who got. What has got them there? Their tongues. Their tongue has literally set the course of their life, and it will be very difficult for them to shake that reputation off. It is a small member, but it boasts of great things. It sets the course of life. Both those illustrations are to show how our words and our speech direct us. But then there's a third illustration. And the third illustration is just to show us how destructive our speech can be. And that is of the, of the fire. Now, we don't live in a place where we get serious wildfires. We just don't. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking like a place like Australia and, and some places in the States where they get wildfires that go on for weeks and weeks and weeks, cause horrendous damage. We don't live there. But what we do live, we live in a place where we can still see pretty up close what happens when a small fire is lit. Think of the morns. We get to witness sometimes the damage that can be done by a small fire being lit. Very quickly, serious damage can be done. Very quickly, serious damage can be done. And so we understand these, these analogies, these illustrations that James gives us. We understand them. They're very, very clear. And then, and then he goes on, to give this illustration of the fact of animals. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. No one. James is, is giving this illustration of animals. Uh, he says that every kind of animal you can train, and you know rightly, you've saw the videos, you've saw the YouTube clips of, of Dippy the Dolphin jumping up and doing stuff and, and all that sort of, you know, you've saw the video clips. Uh, James obviously hasn't met Bonnie, my dog, but uh, we know that we can train animals. But James says it's impossible for us to tame our own tongues. It's impossible. And so what James is showing us is this. We can't do it so we need to go to outside help to do it. We can't do it, so we need to go elsewhere to get our tongues tamed. What James is doing is showing us the powerlessness we have to change ourselves. No one can tame the tongue. And James is indicating by that that we need to go outside. We need to go outside for help to change our speech. Why? Because our speech, again, going back to the start, reveals our heart. 
It reveals our heart. Your gossip problem is a heart problem. Your coarseness problem is a heart problem. Your lying problem is a heart problem. We need the heart changed, and there's only one person that can change the heart, and that is Christ Jesus. All these other things, all these other things we do, all these other sins we commit, they're, they're, they're not just an external thing. Have you ever tried to change yourself? yourself in your own strength? Have you ever tried to change a behavior in your own strength? You fail. It doesn't work. You might last for a wee while. It doesn't work. Why? We need a heart change. And there's only one person that can do that, and that's King Jesus. James is pointing us to the fact that we need grace. Our tongues are indisputable evidence that we need the grace of God. The way that we speak, the words that we use are undisputable evidence that we need God's grace. So, maybe you're in here this morning and you do struggle with this because you're a human being and you're breathing. That means all of us, just in case you didn't pick that up. We all struggle with this. James tells us we do. But maybe you're struggling with a particular issue. Maybe you're struggling with gossip. Maybe you're struggling with massive or, or malice. Maybe you're, maybe you're struggling with lying. Maybe you're struggling with boasting. Maybe, maybe Maybe you struggle with the use of your tongue because you're trying to fit into a certain group and you need to be acceptable in that group. And so you use your tongue and you use your words to try to be acceptable in that group. Maybe you're struggling with your tongue and, and the fact that you, you, you like to cut others down to elevate yourself. Maybe you're, you, you just love sharing rumors that cause division. Folks, all of those things point to a heart problem, a sin problem that cannot be solved by ourselves. It can only be solved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So what I want us to do now as we finish this today, James reminds us we all struggle. And we're all strugglers in here. We're all sinners. We all need grace. So what I want us to do, we don't do this very often or ever really, but what I want us to do is just take a couple of moments, uh, just in the silence, to think about what we've spoken about today, to think about these things, to think about our speech, to think about our words, to think about the way we use our words, and just to, just to come before the Lord, who's the only one that can change us, come before the Lord and just repent. Repent of the way that we have spoken. Repent of the speech that we have used. And we're so thankful that the, the Bible tells us that when we confess our sins, 
Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. These are moments, I said it in the first service, I'll say it again, these are moments, these are, these are sacred moments every single week we get, and we get to come and we just get to sit and we get to give it to Jesus and we get to just clear the slate. Because he's faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins. So now is not a time to navel gaze. It's not a time to sit there and feel sorry for ourselves because we've been so bad. It's a time to come to Jesus in faith. Repent. Turn to him. Trust him. Ask for his grace. Ask for, ask for his forgiveness. Let's take a couple of months to do that. Father, we thank you that when we come to you and when we confess our sin, you're, you're faithful. And Father, we do come when we confess our sin of just the way we use our speech. And we do pray that through the power of the Spirit, you would lead us and help us. Help us to be a people who speak not just the words of Jesus, but, but like Jesus. Help us to be compassionate and loving, kind, gracious, telling people the truth, not lying. Father, we need your help. We need your grace. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.